Hi, this is Hannah Langdell and Nick Olick, two plastic surgery residents with the Resident Review, a plastic surgery podcast. Today we'll be continuing our quick hit series for in-service review and we'll be discussing chemo denervation. Nick, do you want to start us off by discussing Botox? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Botox or botulinum toxin is used for a couple of different reasons in medicine. Um, it can be used to treat overactive bladder, incontinence, prevention of headaches and chronic migraine, um, upper and lower limb spasticity, cervical dystonia, blepharospasm, and hyperhidrosis. Botox Cosmetic is approved to treat glabellar lines and crow's feet. When we think about the mechanism of Botox, you have to kind of reach back into your medical school memories. Um, but this inhibits the release of acetylcholine at the neuromuscular junction and blocks nerve stimulation of muscle activity, causing muscular paralysis. Um, another type of Botox is called myoblock. And this form of uh, botulinum toxin has a shorter duration of action, a quicker onset, a greater radius of diffusion, but does have higher pain with injection. We can think about the muscles that can be treated with Botox in the face. Um, and this is something that's commonly tested. The procerus uh, stretches from the nasal bones to the dermis of the glabella and contraction promotes horizontal rotids in the glabellar region. The nasalis is responsible for bunny lines. The corrugator promotes vertical rotids in the glabella. The orbicularis oculi serves as a sphincter around the eye and may also contribute to some vertical glabellar rotids. The orbicularis is also a brow depressor. The frontalis is responsible for horizontal forehead rotids above the eyebrows and is also a brow elevator. And paralysis can cause brow depression revealing lid ptosis. The FDA approves 20 units of Botox for treatment of the glabella region, 50 for the axilla, 100 for the palm, and 150 for the soles of the feet in hyperhidrosis. And each unit corresponds to the calculated median intraperitoneal lethal dose, or LD50, in mice. That's uh, which is pretty, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's, that's pretty fascinating. I'm sure it'll pop up as a test question. Um, we also can use Botox for uh, masseter hypertrophy, and some of the landmarks here uh, the masseter originates from the body of the zygoma and inserts on the inferior border of the mandible. Um, below the transverse line from the earlobe to the corner of the mouth is the, quote, safe zone. And masseter injections are associated with temporary decrease in mastication force. So that's commonly seen. Medications that could potentiate the effects of Botox include penicillamine, quinine, calcium channel blockers, and aminoglycosides. Uh, another botulinum toxin is called Dysport, and this is contraindicated in those with a milk allergy. So we uh, also, also can talk about some of the complications of neurotoxins. Uh, the first is eyelid ptosis, and this is from inadvertent effect of Botox upon the levator palpebra superioris. And this most commonly occurs after treatment of the glabella region. And this would be treated with apiclonidine drops um, or phenylephrine. And these stimulate Mueller's muscle, also known as the superior tarsal muscle, which is an accessory eyelid elevator that is located deep to the levator and can help improve ptosis one to three millimeters. It's probably and, the uh, highest medication- yield fact, I think, of the whole thing. I feel like we're asked yeah. that every year. Yeah, I agree. I can, going through those questions, I can think of you know multiple years where that showed up. Um, and that medication, apiclonidine, is an alpha adrenergic agonist. Another complication is dysphagia, and this can result from Botox administration for platysma banding. If it's placed too deep in the cervical mental junction, and this can affect the strap muscles, which is why you have that difficulty swallowing. Uh, and lastly, a complication is called Spock's eyebrow. And this is when the lateral eyebrow is higher compared to the medial brow. And this is uh, 
you this is seen when we treat Botox to the lateral front, frontalis muscle. Uh, moving on, we can talk a little bit about facial fillers. So there's several different types of facial fillers, including calcium hydroxyapatite, poly L-lactic acid, and the most common hyaluronic acid. Starting with hyaluronic acid, this typically lasts for four to 12 months. Uh, it can be used in the mid-face. Um, in the mid-face, we use hyaluronic acid that is highly cross-linked with uh, a lot of stability, density, cohesivity, and longevity. And this should be injected in the pre-periosteal level in order to optimize results. Uh, in the tear trough, you should inject at the level of the periosteum uh, in order to improve safety and longevity. Calcium hydroxyapatite fillers are semi-permanent material that can be injected as a soft tissue filler as well. These fillers are prone to nodule formation, and they last um, a little bit longer than hyaluronic acid, about one to two years. And treatment of these nodules that can be formed include direct excision, observation, or even needle disruption. And importantly, these nodules do not respond to steroids. Poly-L-lactic acid, um, or brand name Sculptura, is utilized for the treatment of HIV retroviral-related lipoatrophy. This is injected subcutaneously in the cheek, submuscularly in the orbital region, and subperiosteally in the temples. Uh, some of the complications of soft tissue fillers, um, the most common, and or maybe not the most common, but the most devastating and one we're commonly tested on is intravascular injection and embolization. Uh, this requires urgent management to preclude tissue necrosis. Some signs may include blindness, pain, blanching, mottled skin discoloration, and slow capillary refill. If you do see blindness, this is typically from retinal artery occlusion, and this is most commonly seen during injection of the glabella, followed by the nasal dorsum. And the mechanism is typically injection into the ophthalmic artery from the internal carotid artery. One way to address this, if you're using a hyaluronic acid filler, is the use of hyaluronidase. And this should be injected immediately locally at the site, uh, retrovulbar for retinal artery occlusion. You can also use warm compresses and nitroglycerin paste as adjuncts. Risk reduction mechanisms include a large bore blunt cannula when injecting fillers, um, 27 gauge or larger, injecting less than 0.1 in any single injection site, avoiding high pressure injection, anatomy awareness, and local anesthesia with epinephrine. Another complication of soft tissue fillers is called the Tyndall effect, and this is when calcium hydroxyapatite is placed too near to the surface and causes a grayish hue. All right, Hannah, do you want to take us through a little bit of skincare? Yeah, so I'll start by discussing tretinoin, and this treats sun damage and aging skin. It's a vitamin A derivative. The dose is 0.05 to 0.1%. Uh, and it starts working uh, three months after use. The effects include increased quantity of collagen, type 1 and type 3, greater organization of collagen within the dermis, improved organization of elastic tissue, epidermal hyperplasia, increased mucin de deposition, decreased melanin, decreased in uh, the stratum corneum, and increases keratinocyte transit rate through the dermis. It also improves rytids, it smooths the skin, and it corrects dyschromia. However, it is not indicated for treatment of deep rytids. This can be used prior to chemical peels or surface lasering. The mechanism of treatment of retinoic acid for acne is it decreases the corneocyte adhesion in the stratum corneum, resulting in reduced follicular occlusion and comedone formation. Retinoic acid inhibits AP1 transcription factor binding to DNA and reduces protease activity. 
The mechanism of systemic tretinoin is that it causes atrophy of the sebaceous glands and attenuation of the secretion of sebum. Uh, so now I'll move on to discuss chemical peels. So there are several different types. First is glycolic acid, and this is neutralized with sodium bicarbonate. Salicylic acid, and this does not need to be neutralized. However, complications include uh, salicylic acid toxicity, and the symptoms of this are rapid breathing, tinnitus, hearing loss, dizziness, abdominal cramps, and central nervous system reactions. I think tinnitus is probably the key word that we see in a lot of the question stems. Mm -hmm. And this peel is generally well tolerated, even over large total body surface areas. Um, but generally it's less than 20%. The next peel is TCA, and this is neutralized with saline. The superficial dermis neutralizes TCA peels as well, and this does not have systemic absorption. Jesner's solution cannot be neutralized, and it consists of resourcenol, salicylic acid, lactic acid, and ethanol. And then the final peel that we'll discuss is phenylcrotin, and this cannot be neutralized and does have systemic absorption. This peel causes more hypopigmentation than other peels, and it's used for patients with a higher Fitzpatrick skin type. It is a protoplasmic toxin that disrupts cell walls and denatures proteins. It has rapid dermal absorption, and importantly, it can cause cardiac arrhythmias, so patients should have cardiac and respiratory monitoring during this peel. I think that uh, peels were highly tested last year. And I remember it was one of the topics that I said that I would study the night before and uh, I kind of wish I spent a little more time on it. Yeah, we uh, really don't see that many in residency. So it's definitely important to review. Uh, next, we'll discuss the depth of penetration of some of these peels. So the superficial peels include glycolic acid, salicylic acid, Jesner solution, and TCA of less than 30%. And the endpoint for these peels is a transparent frost with a pink background. And this indicates that the peel has penetrated the superficial dermis. Medium depth peels are TCA of 35 to 50%. And the endpoint is a deep white frost. This indicates that the peel has penetrated the upper reticular dermis. And this is good for moderate to deep rhytids. Deep peels are phenol and Croton oil, and this penetrates to the mid-reticular dermis. The croton oil dictates the depth of the peel, and phenol by itself gives a light to moderate peel, and as I mentioned, is associated with cardiac dysrhythmias. And the deep peels are only suitable for Fitzpatrick 1 skin types. So a very common complication of chemical peels is a herpetic lesion outbreak. Patients with a history of perioral herpetic lesions require pretreatment with a cyclovir before any chemical peel procedure. Otherwise, patients will have a 50% chance of developing an outbreak. And briefly, we'll review a, a carbon dioxide laser. This can be used for resurfacing. It causes complete ablation of the epidermis and the superficial papillary dermis with thermal injury and coagulation throughout the papillary dermis. And this can cause edema redness, crusting, and oftentimes wound healing is completed in seven to 10 days. And a few miscellaneous topics for this section. Uh, physicians can only volunteer non-surgical procedures such as Botox at events such as a charity event. And in general, plastic surgeons cannot administer patient product 
if this is brought from outside the U.S., even if it is FDA approved. And for facial fat grafting, in order to maximize take, you should use very small amounts of fat with each pass to maximize the surface area contact of the fat to the vascularized tissue. And this has a longer downtime than with the filler injections that we've discussed. So that wraps up our section on uh, cosmetic chemical peels. And thank you for joining us. As a plastic surgeon with a unique vision for each patient, the more options you have at your fingertips, the better. Natrell is one of the portfolios available to you. To learn more, visit natrellsurgeon.com.